This is Philip Meyer, welcoming you to another episode of Talking About Platforms. We present and discuss relevant discoveries from the field of platform research. Hi, I'm Daniel Trabucchi. In every episode, we have a guest sharing with us one of his or her latest papers on platforms to make it accessible for everyone. And with that, let's jump right into the conversation. So, welcome to another episode of uh, Talking About Platforms. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Hi, Liz. Hello, Philip. Hello, Daniel. So, today's guest is uh, Elizabeth J. Altman. Um, Liz is Assistant Professor of Management at the Manning School of Business, uh, University of Massachusetts, Lowell. Um, before that, she spent 19 years uh, in, in industry and uh, did a DBA at Harvard Business School. Um, her research interests span platforms, business ecosystems, future of work, among many other, other interesting topics. And she looks at them from a strategic and strategic leadership perspective. And today we will talk about the interesting project uh, that uh, Liz is um, kind of co-leading and uh, and supporting between uh, Sloan, MIT Sloan Management Review and Deloitte, uh, but more on that later and how this brings together her interests in platform business ecosystems and the future of work in this project and the resulting publications. But before we talk about that, Daniel, I'm happy to hand over to you. Yeah, our usual question. You know, all the people coming here share something. We talk about platforms, but platform is a kind of difficult word. It have it has various meanings. Uh, it, it can be taken from different perspectives. So we'd like to to start the conversation with a twofold question, which is, what's a platform to you? And even if you want to tell us something more on how you got to study platforms, so how, how you got here somehow. Yes. So I spent um, about 18 years at Motorola, so a long time in industry. As I like to joke, I was 12 when I started. Uh, so I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in industry before I kind of came back into academia full time. And so when I came back and I went to... Harvard. And so when I got to Harvard, people kept saying, you know, you've worked for so long as they were trying not to be insulting, but they said, you know, you've worked for a long time. And so what did you find, you know, your best research is going to be if you think about what you found difficult or complex or confusing or what puzzle or, you know, what bothered you while you were working. And I was a vice president at Motorola and I was there when mobile phones were kind of getting started. And I had been on the board of directors of Symbian, for example, while we were kind of dealing with software platforms um, in that kind of a platform. And so, but I was vice president of strategy and business development in the mobile phone business. And so Mike Tushman and I had talked about me coming to Harvard and then uh, Mike went off on sabbatical and Ranjay, Professor Ranjay Gulati and I um, were talking about what I should study and what I should research. And so he said, well, since you've done all this business development and I had done many deals for Motorola, why don't you think about alliances and portfolios? Of, he is a world expert on alliances and also portfolios of alliances because I said, 
to me, kind of the groups of alliances were interesting. So I spent some time on that. And then I came to him one day and I said, you know, it just feels to me like this is very good work. Um, and a lot of great colleagues are doing the work here, but there's a piece missing. And, you know, we talk about kind of cocktail. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the expression or the phrase, how people um, come up with ideas on cocktail napkins. Have you you heard that, like, you know, on planes and in yeah, bars, yeah. people grab a napkin and start drawing, right? Yeah. So as cliche as it is, I mean, I we literally had only a napkin in front of us and I grabbed the napkin and I started drawing and I said, and I drew a whole bunch of arrows and I said, you know, we Motorola sell to Verizon, but we also have these, we have customers that we're dealing with and we have app providers and we have others and these are very complex relationships and this this set of relationships and how they all work together is what to me is so difficult and it's not just like we design a product and we sell it to an end user but we have all of these other players that affect both what we're designing and how we sell it and the whole system and he just looked at me and said you care about platforms and i said okay but i I wasn't an academic at that time, really. I mean, I think it was my first or second semester. And he said, no, no, really, you should go figure out what academics are writing about platforms. And so I said, okay. Uh, I was a doctoral student, so I had to say, okay. And so I went and spoke with, uh, I went and started reading, basically. Andre Hodges' work, Annabelle Gower's work, Michael Cusimano, Mark Reisman, Marshall Van Alstyne, Jeff Parker. And as I was reading, I said, oh, the, these guys get, like, these people get it, right? This They're writing about what we were struggling with. I realized that I, Andre Hodges was doing amazing work and that he was at HBS. And so though I had never met him, I sent him an email and just said, you know, I've read all your work and, or at least a lot of your work and wondering if I can come meet with you. And he was incredibly gracious. And I went to meet with him and we realized that we kind of both brought a different perspective. And from there, he ended up being on my field exam committee and one of my dissertation advisors. And we wrote, we ended up doing some research that I'm still using the data from on a project right now. And we we did things a little bit backwards in that it was taking a long time for us to figure out how we wanted to structure a peer-reviewed paper, but we had this framework on product-to-platform transitions, and we just had a sense that it was important and necessary and good, and we wanted to get it out. So we wrote a pretty detailed HBR article that became Finding the Platform in Your Product, which we published in 2017-ish, I think. So there's a cool story about the artwork on that also, but that's maybe a little bit of a diversion about the transformer. That article then was picked up and HBR ended up including it in one of their editions of the 10 best reads for 2019. They laughed and said, just disregard the year because we published it in 2017, but it was in the 2019 book. and then. It was also in the 10 best reads for um, on, on business model innovation and on platforms and ecosystems. And although it's an HBR article, we know that academics are citing it and it's kind of a little bit of a crossover article um, because it has this framework in it. So anyway, that's, you know, that was a platform article on product to platform transition 
that's one of the ways. So I'm, I'm back to your original question of how do I think about platforms? I think about them very much in the way Andre, I think, does, and mostly in a business model sense, and mostly as a platform. I mean, there are many definitions of platforms, and of course, we have technology platforms, um, which sometimes we call innovation platforms now. Um, I know Annabelle Gower, Michael Cusimano, David Yoffe have done great work, as have others, in kind of frameworks and typologies and classifying platforms. But I like to simply think about them more as a governance structure, as a business model that connects sides and where the direct interaction between the sides is important. Um, so that's how I think about them. And then I started, so my dissertation research then became about complementers in large respect because I realized that, because, well, I had an opportunity to work with a complementer company that was creating products that worked in the Apple ecosystem. And I also, so I started to realize the importance of complementers and ecosystems. And there I would say I follow the Ron Adner and Rahul Kapoor school of thought. And I would point you to, so I thought about this this morning. The um, 20 Rahul Kapoor's 2018 paper in the Journal of Organization Design, I think, is the for me the most clear uh, exposition on what is an ecosystem. And I like to build on that definition. And the title is Ecosystems Broadening the Locus of Value Creation. And in that paper, he defines very clearly that ecosystems must have interdependencies and complementarities. And to me, that definition has served as a basis of work that has led to the workforce ecosystems work. So I still work on platform research um, and I work on ecosystem research and the intersection between the two. But again, I would say for me, platforms is a governance structure, connecting sides and ecosystems is a group of individuals and or organizations where you have interdependencies and complementarities and a set of both individual and collective goals. And that's straight really from Rahul's work. Very cool. Thank you so much. Uh, out of curiosity, um, back then when you first got in, yeah, in, in touch with the, with the huge, also then huge field of platform research and, and thought, wow, this is so interesting. And uh, why did I not hear or read about it while I was still in, in industry? Did you try to back then like push the knowledge to maybe your former colleagues uh, at, at Motorola or make this accessible already back then as you're doing it right now? Um, somewhat. I mean, I spoke to them individually, but at that point I wasn't writing to that audience as much. And I, uh, until we did the finding the product in your platform paper, um, You know, what I think, though, is that my colleagues, certainly those who are in leadership roles and kind of um, even those not in leadership roles, but at the cutting edge of this thinking, they know how platforms work. They just don't call them platforms, right? I mean, we just, you know, in industry, we just knew how the businesses worked, right? We knew that this was more complicated than creating a chair and selling it through a distributor to a customer, um, you know, one single product. <clears throat> we knew that there were all these relationships. We just didn't 
I don't think have the language or we didn't have the same language that economists at the time and management scholars were starting to use to describe the structures. I think that's true often in academia where we have certain words and we've we've put meaning to words that practitioners don't use those words. And I think it's a mistake if we assume that the executives or the managers don't understand the dynamics or don't understand the concepts. Um, often they do, they just call it something different or they don't call it anything at all. They just do it. Right. And, and we spend a little more time describing it, but that's, you know, that's our role. So, so I guess, you know, I had plenty of dinners and discussions and talked to people and, you know, they were in alignment. They they said, oh yeah, I know this is great. And this is complicated. And this is what we struggle with. But I think some of it was just, we didn't use the words. I think people use the words much more now. That's for sure. We also use the word a lot. <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> the uh, what, what is super interesting is that they're, like the definitions are, although there are some components that are repeated and, and constant, pretty constant. Um, there are nuances that that almost always differ, uh, especially then when when people also started talking about or scholars also start about uh, talking about ecosystems um, and connecting these two with the platforms. And then we try to dig a bit deeper into platform mechanism mechanisms as well. So this is super uh, super interesting. Coming to your your current uh, work, your current project. Um, I also like first got in, in touch with your with your work via the finding the the platform in your product uh, article, um, and then I think I attended one of your presentations at the uh, platform interest group um, at Oxford, and there I think you talked uh, already about the um, your current uh, workforce ecosystems uh, project. That correct me if I'm wrong started in 2021, um, is this correct? Um, the research started in 2020. I think the first piece we published was January, 2021. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, and it's, it's all about workforce uh, ecosystems. I will invite you to explain what this means uh, in, in a second. Um, it is a, a collaboration between the uh, Sloan Management Review and um, Deloitte. Um, it is based on research that is called the Future of the Workforce Global Executive Study. And uh, I found one publication, Workforce Ecosystems, a new strategic ap approach to the work, uh, to the future of work, sorry. And uh, that was published last year in um, SMR. There's one that is published this year um, about the same uh, topic with um, a little bit different focus. And then you have a hardcover upcoming for next year, uh, Workforce Ecosystems Reaching Strategic Goals with People, Partners, and Technologies that, of course, we are also happy to link in the show notes. But without me talking uh, a lot about your project, uh, Liz, why don't you just give us and uh, the audience an overview um, about the project and what a workforce ecosystem is. Again, I'm going to use a little of my media training, though, and divert for a moment before I come back to uh, uh, the work, workforce ecosystem, because I think, again, it's a bit of the origin story discussion. It's kind of how I ended up doing workforce ecosystems, and that will explain why workforce ecosystems uh, links back to platforms 
uh, I think. So I had written after, well, after the finding the platforming product and concurrently also, I did a paper in Academy of Management Annals with Professor Mike Tushman and Professor Frank Nagel. And it came to the attention of the United Nations. And the United Nations Development Program has this network of accelerator labs around the world. And they invited me to a meeting in New York City. And from that meeting, uh, Frank and I ended up writing an article for Sloan Management Review about a network of ecosystems. And so that's an article that isn't quite as popular, but I think uh, is a cool article you may want to link to as well about um, a network of ecosystems and this notion of a global set of ecosystems that are all coordinated by the UN Development Program. And so that was published in um, in the paper copy of SMR and of course online as well. And so David Kieran, who is the head of the Big Ideas Initiative at Slow Management Review had seen that work. And in March, 2020 sent me a note. Uh, so, and some of you may have received notes over the years from David because he's at SMR. And so we all get these notes, you know, please do this survey or here's some new research that, that you may like. And so I received a note for him that was very funny at the start that basically said, this is not, uh, you know, uh, this is not junk mail or this is not, you know, a canned letter. I know who you are and I know Mike Tushman and I want to talk to you about the future of work. You know, are you interested in a conversation? So I said, sure, because it seemed like, you know, if an editor from SMR calls you, you should say sure. And so we got on the phone and, and but so first I read a bunch of work. He said, would you consider being guest editor of our future of the workforce initiative? That's what I'd like to talk to you about. So I of course went and read their work on it and got on the phone and said, you know, this is very much about inside of organizations. This is about kind of human resources and uh, talent marketplaces and opportunity marketplaces. And it seems like your research has been focused inside the organization. And I spend a lot of time thinking about interactions between organizations, right? In platforms, we spend a lot of time on the relationships between organizations, sometimes individuals as well. And especially with ecosystems, we think a lot about beyond the boundaries of one organization. And so I don't think it makes sense for me to be guest editor of something that is focused you know, within, entirely within an organization. And he said, no, 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 that is exactly why we are talking. We think that uh, the future of work involves expansion beyond a central organization and that these relationships cross boundaries are what becomes interesting. And so we would like someone who understands platforms and ecosystems to come into this role as guest editor that Deloitte is sponsoring and Deloitte is involved and they also want someone in this role. So if you're interested, you know, we'd like to do this. And I said, basically, well, if we can do it kind of as an experiment and if we can really center the conversations around ecosystems in some way, shape or form or kind of move the conversation there, if, if you're optimistic that we can move the conversation to an ecosystem-based conversation, then I'm willing to give it a try. And that was early 2020. And so that's exactly what we did. And we started to have brainstorming conversations between people who are at SMR, people at Deloitte and me. And we called them 
I think they were like divergent thinking or expansive thinking, or they were essentially brainstorming conversations about kind of what's interesting about how work is changing and how organizations are changing. And of course, I brought a platform and ecosystems lens. And then one day I said, I meant to say, I think this is about organizational ecosystems. And I messed up because we had been talking about workforce. And I said, well, this is about workforce ecosystems. And I said, I mean, organizational ecosystems. And then I said, actually, come to think of it, no, I mean, workforce ecosystems. And they said, oh, there, that's definitely what this is about. And that's kind of how it started, right? And so then we said, okay, well, if that's true, well, then what is a workforce ecosystem? That first year, we interviewed 27 people, um, including like the head of HR, the CHRO for Walmart, two generals in the US Army, people from the Mayo Clinic, Amazon, some startups. Um, it was a great set of people. And we did a global survey of over 5,000 people, uh, 138 countries and 29 industries. So it was this really broad-based survey. And we realized we were onto something, basically, that people were redefining workforces, that workforces aren't just employees, that more and more people are using uh, relationships outside of their companies to get work done. And within organizations, people are moving around much more, uh, much more, and there are more talent marketplaces. And of course, at the same time, COVID hit, hybrid work came in. And while we weren't really studying hybrid work, that of course had an impact on this research as well. So the beginning of the project was about what is a workforce ecosystem? Why is this interesting? Then we realized this really affects management practice. Like, okay, this is happening. This is a phenomenon. This is true. This is true. What does it mean for management practices? What, what changes within an organization? So the first article in January 2021 was uh, titled, The Future of Work is Through Workforce Ecosystems. That's a very short, easy to read article. And tied future of work, which often is about AI and robotics, to workforce ecosystems. And then that was January. Then April, we came out with the full-length report that was, as you said, workforce ecosystems, and we called it a new strategic approach to the future of work. That article is very much about kind of trends and what is a workforce ecosystem? What is driving it? What are some of the challenges and opportunities? It's um, What are some of the effects on management practices? And then May 2022, we just came out with orchestrating workforce ecosystems, which is a much deeper dive and starts to probably be more interesting to even more academics because we put forth a framework uh, around orchestrating workforce ecosystems. And we talk about technology enablers, integration architectures, leadership approaches, and changes in management practices. Building on all that, we did a proposal for MIT Press, and we wrote a book manuscript, and it's available for pre-order on Amazon, should anyone be inspired and motivated. We love pre-orders. Evidently, they're very important. I'm not sure why, but they are. So that will be released, if all goes well, April 11th, 2023. So that's what you see. I think on Google Scholar, it's already showing. So that's what you see on Google Scholar. Also, I will tell you, 
What you don't see on the web yet anywhere is we will write um, probably two articles between now and I don't know, spring or summer 2023, digging more deeply into a couple of the areas that we cover. So those are the research for that is in process, and we're launching another survey also. It's in final copy edit. So I was messing with the wording this morning. Well, that's uh, massive. The future of work and a lot of future research coming out from your work. So definitely looking forward to, to read all of them. For our listeners that uh, are definitely, you know, used to this kind of words, but maybe are not that into uh the nuances that they may have. Would you like to give us some examples of these companies relying on workforce ecosystems and sharing with us some of the main practical takeaways and implications that you that you found over the last years? Sure. Um, so again, I'll, I'll point you to the reports because they're filled with examples, but I will highlight a few of them. Um, so first of all, just to be clear, when we say a workforce ecosystem, we mean, again, employees plus contractors, subcontractors, third parties, developers. So for those who may be listening who are academics, right, we consider complementers part of the ecosystems as well, um, and technologies. So... For example, one of my favorite examples that I use all the time is we were talking to someone at NASA and he said, you know, we have to give our bots employee ID numbers now. And I said, wait, what do you mean? And he said, well, a lot of our bots, the software bots that we're using need access to data. Uh, that's in our systems. And the only way you can get access to data is if you have an employee ID number. So we don't give them badges, of course, but they are in our employee uh, database. So then you say, well, okay, they have employee ID numbers and they have access to sensitive data. Are they part of the workforce? Say, so, well, okay, you can argue like is a robot, you know, can a workforce be poor? So we can get into kind of philosophical articles about our arguments about this. But for us, it's very clear that kind of who is doing and what is doing the work in the organization goes beyond employees. And so that was one example that sparked our thinking on this. Another is there's a software company called Applause. And again, I'll give you kind of from big organizations down to smaller startups and uh, government agencies to for-profits. So there's a startup, uh, it's not a startup, it's just a smaller organization called Applause. They have this community of te software testers called U-Test, the letter U and then T-E-S-T. -E and their organization itself is relatively small. I don't remember the exact number, but they have over a million testers worldwide who are doing the testing. And you can sign up. I've now signed up. Technically, I'm a U-tester, although I've never done a test. But uh, that's an example where it's kind of an extreme version of a workforce ecosystem because the employee numbers are very small, but the number of people doing work for the organization on behalf of the organization is very large. 
And the other thing that's interesting there, and you talked about implications and is not all of the people in the community, myself included, are doing revenue generating work for the organization. So then the question is, like, am I part of the workforce or do I only become part of the workforce once I do work? And I, I'm not sure it necessarily matters. I think the way um, the gentleman we spoke with, who was one of the founders, or may have been, the, he was the founder, um, he thinks about the community as all potential uh, workers and potential for the workforce. And so most importantly, they offer training. There are all kinds of classes that you can take if you're just a registered U-tester. And that is very different than the old model, which is we offer training to our employees and the idea that you know training costs money and we only expend those resources for training and development on people who we know are going to produce revenue for our organization. In a workforce ecosystem model, when you're taking a more community-based approach, um, you know the members of your platform, those who are participating on your platform, could potentially also be taking classes or participating in your community, maybe providing feedback, maybe participating in the community in other ways. And that whole notion is a pretty modern notion of who is in your workforce, who is in your community. So, so that's NASA. There's applause. Then we have examples again from Amazon, from Walmart, from Roche, from Novartis. All of them in different ways, shapes, or form, we think are thinking pretty um, in pretty sophisticated ways about, about their workforce. Novartis particularly has an enormous number of external contributors. Most of these firms do. They just also were willing to talk to us about them um, and are very forward thinking in how they approach those workers. Yeah, the topic uh, offers offers so much and you make it so so well accessible. I had to, to think about my past uh, corporate career. So I worked for one of the big German car manufacturers for a couple of years and very recently joined a, a technology startup last year uh, that also is active in the mobility space. And what I realized is that the identification and the ownership that employees take is very, very different, right? In the big corporate, it is a job. And then the startup that I'm working in right now, for many people, although not all of them are the founders, obviously, but even the non-founders, employees, they're very involved and they take ownership and they make problems that are present here in the company their own. And then I also thought while you were kind of coming up and or, or explaining the, the examples, also from the automotive world, Tesla, right? I, I, I just read a, read a headline that they're now rolling out the um, self-driving system software to 150,000 Tesla owners who can now test it and help the company to improve. Um, and Tesla made it happen to build this huge community around their company, their brand, um, and what they stand for. And there my question would be, when I compare my own experience and then also bring Tesla into the equation as a, I would say, now corporate who, who managed to 
keep this like brand and identity um what's the role of this uh, of this brand and identity in the in the new workforce ecosystem uh, world yeah so these are really great questions and right at, you know get to the heart of the matter so first let's talk about tesla and then come back to the startup that you mentioned in terms of tesla i think that's a great uh, example where you say okay we uh, so I'm a strategy professor, right? And we tried to put people in buckets, right? Are you a customer? Are you a supplier? Are you a partner? Are you an employee? So, okay, now you're a customer, you buy the car, but now you're providing input into the development process. So are you a supplier or are you a member of the workforce? And again, it, you know, the, it, it, it calls into question a lot of these traditional definitions that we use. So I would argue that customers who are providing feedback are in fact doing value adding work of some sort to the company and they are helping create value for the organization towards the collective goals of the organization and also their individual goals because it's fun and maybe they get feedback on it. Maybe they get some um, benefits by participating. And so if you ask me, are they members of the workforce ecosystem? I would say yes. Now, if you ask me if they're employees, I would say no. And even if they're contractors, I would say no. Right. But if are they members of a workforce ecosystem, I would say yes. And that's why I think workforce ecosystem, it's one of the reasons why I think workforce ecosystems becomes a useful construct because we can kind of capture all of this work that's being done by all of these various players, even if it doesn't fit in some of our traditional notions of the roles. So, so I think that's a great example. I think building this followership of like following this brand, this leads to a situation in which Tesla is able to bring in these loose like customers becoming part of the of the workforce ecosystem and having them accepting that they participate in uh, quote unquote experiments um and also if something doesn't work out so well they are fine with that if i compare this to a company like vw uh right uh, where i worked everything has to work out uh, and and the customers are not at all uh, accepting something that that is so or so good uh, and being part of an experiment would you say this as being like an, an, a super important asset uh, in the future is every company able to build this these kind of workforce ecosystems around it or what is it about right well, so as you know, right? So I'm a professor, and so I can never say every. Um, sure. And so, uh, so I, I'm not sure every company, but I would say yes. In in terms of, I think lots of companies and more companies increasingly are going to think about the communities around them, right? The ecosystem of contributors around them. And I think again, you raise a brilliant point in that um, for Tesla. If you get people involved and they feel like they're helping, then if something doesn't work out, 
they don't think of themselves as being so let down by the company. They're kind of part of the innovation, right? It changes the way people look at innovation and it changes their view of their role in innovation. So, and that's why to me, there's such an interesting link between what used to be in the realm of HR or in the realm purely of internal and human capital to a broader discussion about strategy and innovation and creation that includes this question of how do you define your workforce? And I didn't say it here, but we start a a few of our pieces this way, including the book. Um, It was just so striking to me when we started doing this that I would start interviews and say, you know, before we get too far, just the way you guys say, before we get too far, let's define a platform, right? How do you define a platform? And as you said, there's a lot of nuance. I said, before we get too far, this project is called the future of the workforce, but how do you define a workforce? And to a person, the answer was very much, that is an interesting question. And, you know, we were just in a meeting about it this morning, or I've been thinking a lot about it, or our executive team is talking about. And now it's getting a little bit harder to ask the question that way because people are starting to know that our, you know, if they just Google me or us, they see that we we write about workforce ecosystems. So it's like, it's a bit of a leading question because they say, oh, we think about as a work, as an ecosystem. Like, okay, did you really, or did you see our stuff? So, um, but but this notion of kind of who is the workforce, your Tesla example gets right at, right? And I think more and more senior leaders are thinking more about kind of who is the workforce. Uh, let's move to your point about the startup where you're working and the fact that those who are participating feel differently maybe about their participation than they would if they worked for a big company. I think we see that um, often. Right. And it's it's often true of startups. What's most interesting to me, the kind of twist I would add to that is so if all of those people are employees, then you say, okay, it's because it's a small company and everybody feels like they've got a stake in its success. And we've got research on and we can look at identity and um, identification with small organizations. What's interesting to me, in addition, is when not all of those people are employees, right? Are some of them freelancers or some of them gig workers or some of them just part-timers, but yet they have that same connection. That's an interesting discussion. And so the kind of question then becomes, how do you get contractors, part-timers, gig workers to feel that connection and to feel like they're part of the culture? We thought that was the main question, and we did a lot of thinking about that. We now realize that that actually is not the first question. The first question is, should they be, or do they want to be, or does it matter? So we have an example in the, I think it's in the Orchestrating Workforce Ecosystems report of a company called Planomatic, and the CEO is Corey Covergaro. And in the spirit of full disclosure, he is one of my cousins, and uh, he uh He has a great, he's a brilliant CEO, cousin or not, and he has a company and he has this uh, community of people called Planotechs, who they they do 3D photography for real estate transactions, essentially. 
And again, like applause, they have a small core organization and a very large community of contractors. And he tells a story about how initially he thought he needed to get he needed to cater essentially to all of the contractors and have them feel like they're part of the company. So invite them to parties and give them t-shirts and hats and have them feel like they really were part of things. And then a few of them started saying to him, you know, honestly, I don't really want to come to your parties and I don't really need the hats and t-shirts. And I just want, like, one of the reasons I like interacting with your company is you give me an assignment. I go do my assignment. I send you the output and you pay me very transactional. And if I wanted a job where I had to like really be gung-ho part of the organization, I would go get that job. But I don't want that. I want to just do my tasks and and we'll be good. I'm happy with that. You know, I, I don't have any problem with that. And so he realized that there was definitely a set of people and contributors who could contribute greatly in a very transactional way. And there was nothing negative about that that some people wanted a transactional relationship and that was actually good for both sides. So I would first ask the question, you know, what is the best type of relationship? And it may be that you want people very much part of the culture and you want to figure that out. And then there is a question of how you do that with contractors and part-time workers in a virtual world. And there's a question about hybrid and remote work and all that. And, or, you have an organization where some of the people are very have very transactional relationships and that's fine for everybody. And so to me, that subtlety, like, first of all, the only way to get to that subtlety is this type of research and having conversations with people. And, you know, because we have all these assumptions until you have conversations. So that's been super fun about the research is finding out some of these nuances and subtleties. And I don't think we have great answers, any of us. I think you know CEOs are grappling with it and day to day making their own adjustments as Corey is as in terms of running their businesses well and what we can do as researchers uh, as academics as writers is kind of highlight these questions and help leaders figure out first of all what questions they should be asking and then for their own organization how they should answer them and so I think that's to a great extent, what we try to do. I think what the, the story you are telling is extremely interesting because it's kind of new, both for traditional organizations that has this idea of the organizational culture and the values that needs to be transmitted to the, to the employees, but also for, let me say, more traditional uh, two-sided platforms where this idea of creating a closed network and giving the values of the platform to both sides has been considered important. So it's it's very surprising uh, the kind of view you are you are you are bringing in, and I totally agree with uh, what you are saying on the need to get questions more than answers in many cases to have uh, elements to think about being scholars. But also, and even more importantly, if we're looking at the companies being the managers um, leading them. I was wondering, going probably towards the end of our conversation, what are other, I would have said challenges at the beginning. Then you, you brought up this idea of questions, which is very, very interesting in my opinion. 
What are other questions that you came up with during your research? We have outlined in the report, and certainly I can give you a preview in the book, each chapter in the book has a section that we call action questions. And so at the end, and so what we've done is we've said, we've identified a number of themes. So for example, technology, we call them technology enablers. So technologies related to workforce ecosystems, which include Slack, you know, teams, things like that, but they also include AI, machine learning. They also include robots, chatbots, et cetera, and all of these various categories. And then we would have a set of questions related to technology enablers. And then we have a chapter, for example, um, where we talk about leadership and leadership approaches. And then we have questions about how leadership changes in um, workforce ecosystems. I will tell you, I mean, I am interested in all of it and depends on the day and what who I'm talking to and what I get involved in. But I think the questions around leadership, particularly what's different for a leader in a hierarchical um, command and control, traditional Chandlerian organization versus a much more loosely coupled, interconnected, networked organization where there is much less control right, and different types of influence, I think there's a world of research that can be done around that. And there are a world of questions that leaders should be asking themselves and their organizations. So I'm really interested in the leadership part of this. And similarly, the management practices, what changes in how you kind of manage your organization. So, and I, I would agree with you, I'll just go back to that Asking questions is important and formulating questions is important for scholars and researchers, definitely. But it turns out that it's actually quite useful for leaders to have access to the right questions. And it's okay that we don't always provide them with answers because often the answers may be wrong in their situation. So helping them to figure out what to ask themselves and their organizations and you know their teams then that that's a real service and and is seems to be quite well received so we're continuing to kind of go down that path i think we have been raising some interesting questions and providing some interesting answers during during this episode starting uh, live with your endeavor to pursuing the the dba at harvard business school and entering into the platform research world um, and then raising and answering very interesting questions on your path towards more looking into ecosystems um, as well and now bringing the two together with the future of work in your current work on workforce ecosystems uh, I think was a super interesting uh, super interesting discussion um, I'm very much looking forward to the upcoming book as said we are super happy to to link all the all the articles that were mentioned uh, in the show notes as always so that listeners if they want to learn more if they want to dig deeper can read everything find everything um if someone wants to get in touch and stay connected to regular updates from from your list what would be the best the best way to to follow your work yes great thank you for asking so my linkedin profile you can certainly follow me there also we can put the link to the Future of Work um, 
the future of the workforce project uh, on Sloan Management Review. We have a page and all of our articles and all of our reports show up there. Okay. So I can, I can give you that link and you can post it. So I think between my LinkedIn profile and the SMR site, um, those are the two best ways probably. Perfect. But again, for the, for the book, I think you can both pre-order it. And I think you could probably also on Amazon put a notification that you would know when it comes out and you can follow me as an author on Amazon and that works as well. So wonderful. Yeah. Only thing I can, I can say for today is thank you so much for, for being with us, Liz, and sharing all these wonderful insights um, about your journey to the academic world and through the academic world and, and about your, your current work. It was super interesting. Yeah. Thank you. No, absolutely. And again, thank you so much for inviting me. And so uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking About Platforms. To support our work, you can rate the episode or leave a comment on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to hit the follow button so you don't miss out the coming episodes. If you want to look up at the papers we have discussed or other topics we addressed, visit talkingaboutplatforms.com. There you can find the show notes and get in touch with us. Until next time, when we're again talking about platforms.